Welcome to A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar, a podcast with relatively well-informed and irreverent musings on religion, news, and society. And now, for your hosts, Rabbi Asher Lopatin and John Geringer. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, Asher, I've missed you. It's been two weeks. I know. it's Well, we're giving people a chance to catch up on the podcast if they have fallen behind. It's like Daf Yomi, you know, if you fall behind, you got to get you know, move ahead. I always feel bad for people because like, you know, when I talk to them, they're like, oh, I missed some episodes. It's like, I'm really not grading you. <laughs> no. I'm really not expecting. I mean, I grade my students in class that we just started, but I, I think, I'd you know, people. Yeah, we got to make a rule that you're allowed to drop two podcasts. I think we'll let people drop two podcasts. That's right. That's right. Well, it's been a while, but you had looked like an exciting MLK day. Well, MLK is, first of all, it was his actual birthday on Sunday that I worked out. And I went to church twice. So one time at Second Baptist and then... Then later on at First Baptist, and the truth is, to be honest, I have been to church on Sundays, but I actually went to the program after church, so I don't get any credit for going to church, but I went to Minion, of course, in the morning, and I went to the church, and these programs were really a beautiful, it's beautiful coming together, the Black and Jewish communities. When I go to church, or when I'm walking around Detroit, I... There's a lot of warmth. I think the Jewish and Black communities, the more we can come together, we got to look out for each other. I want to really change the narrative of that we have each other's back. I want that to be the narrative. And that if there's a Jewish guy walking down the south side of Chicago, west side, or east side of Detroit, and sees a group of Black folks there, I want the message to be, oh, thank God, because they're going to have my back. You know? Well, MLA certainly seemed to have Israel's back. I mean, I hadn't realized I've done some reading recently on it. On boy, you know, he really was pro-Israel, and to the extent that there were folks in the in the in the African American community who weren't, he he really made it a point of saying that they were wrong. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Malcolm X was not such a great fan of Israel, and some others. I don't know, probably Stokely Carmichael, but definitely MLK and. You know, it's a little bit unfortunate that maybe some of his followers, Jesse Jackson and Andrew Young, might not be known as the greatest advocates for Israel. But you're right, MLK was. And this legacy was we were singing, we were. And what I love, and I don't know if I said this on this podcast before, but I'm really trying to do is the African-American community has a, has an anthem, Lift Every Voice, that I burst out crying. I tear up every lift, every voice, and sing. I'm not going to do it good. here, but As uh, it's a gorgeous rabbis song. Not know how to sing. <laughs> What's that? As people know, most rabbis do not know how to sing, uh, and I, you really are an exception to the rule. Well, you're very kind, but I I love this song, and and really, everyone, look it up afterwards. Lift every voice and sing. It's it's gorgeous, and. It resonates with me as a Jew going through hard times. It can resonate with anybody, any individual going through hard times and prayer and faith. And so that's the Black national anthem, as it were. And I love pairing that with Hatikva, which I have to insist, it's not just the anthem of the state of Israel. It's the Jewish national anthem. It's the hope. I do get teary every time Hatifa goes on. And I have to say, it is absolutely on my bucket list. Having watched, boy, it must be now 30 years ago, you 2 Rattle and Hum, when they go to a, a gospel, they basically have a gospel choir singing, still haven't found what I'm looking for. And oh my God, it's gorgeous. What is that? What 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 is that a film? What is that? It, it was a documentary of you too. Oh wow. And oh. They, a gospel church and sing one of their songs and it is as soon as i saw that i'm like before i die i have to find a way to get in front of a gospel choir and sing a song and have them back me up 
It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. So, you know, the two of these songs played together and we did that at church and uh, we did that on MLK Day and just really worked because Hatikva actually works beautifully for other folks even that aren't Jewish or that aren't Israeli, that there's a hope to be Leot Am Chofshi Beretzenu to be a free people in our land. And so, yes, it's Zionist, but Zionism is a liberation movement. So so anyway, MLK was just really just beautiful and to have everyone together. And by the way, we had a kosher meal that we treated all the people because it was sort of wed after church. People went to this lunch and then they came to the MLK program. Loved it. It was just pure love. And I hope that, that we can grow from there and the communities can come closer and closer together. And we've talked about in a previous podcast, you found some way around the apparent restriction on going to churches. Tell us again how you figured that one out. Yeah, well, Rabbi David Rosen is the really the, one of the great rabbis in the American Jewish Committee. And he's also in his own right, does tremendous interfaith work. And it's really based on that, certainly for non-Jews, for Christians, it's not avodazara. Christianity is not worship. It's not idolatrous. There is a belief in one, the one God. Yes, there is the idea of the Trinity and Catholics are really into Mary and et cetera, et cetera. And there are icons. There are all those kind of things. But it's really a monotheistic religion. And that makes it very different from an idolatrous religion. And that's sort of one of the bases for really not having that those restrictions of going inside of their place of worship. But also there's one of the some of the posts can talk about Miriam, that Christians are just following what their parents did, and they're just really following more than a, a, a rogue belief from Judaism. They're just following the tradition of their parents. So David, I, I asked, because one of my great teachers, my wife Smicha from, from Aaron Soloveitchik, was admittedly against going into churches. He was even against going into mosques. But David Rosen, you know, since I work for the AJC now, or JCRC AJC, so I asked David Rosen, and, and he said, you know, he Paskin, it was okay, and I'm good, and I still believe in the one God, and I don't they know. They haven't convinced you yet, right? No, no. Even though it's impressive, I just love, like you're saying, the joy in a gospel service, in a Baptist service, and this this beautiful belief and this pure belief in God is very impressive. And so MLK really symbolize what we did in the past together and with Rabbi Abraham, Joshua Heschel, et cetera. And I really think the future really can really flower. I know there are those Black leaders, whether on the left or whatever, who have issues. But as a whole, I think we're really poised for some partnership and, and great growth in our relationships. Well, that literally is your day job. Yes, exactly, exactly. And and loving so I will it. Say don't quit your day job because we need you there. <laughs> well, you're it, it's just great. It's a joyous thing. And it's interesting because John, you work with like not with terrorists, but counterterrorism. <laughs> and well, I, I've had some interesting discussions over the last couple of weeks, even. Last Sunday, I had brunch with the the former head of the National so Socialist Movement, and we're going to get him on this podcast someday. He's actually done chuba, and he is went to one of your students' synagogues, Rabbi Hart, Skokie oh, Valley, amazing. in beautiful Skokie, Illinois, mm -hmm. and actually afterwards said that he was hugged more there than he ever was before. So he's Jeff Scoops his name. He's a former commander of the National so Socialist Movement, and we met at an event where Simon Wiesenthal had brought him to Chicago, and he and I shared some of our interesting family heritage <laughs> with each other. And, you know, you come into a meeting like that, and you are 85% convinced <laughs> that he has come to the light side, notwithstanding Simon Wiesenthal, and he's been all over the news. There's still that 15% you got to actually talk to him in person. And we had a fascinating discussion, and we will be bringing him on the podcast. So, Stay tuned, folks. We're going to have a Nazi. Well, yeah. It's, uh, is commander like the top job in the National Socialist Party? 
I think so. It's it's not like Colonel Gaddafi, right, where he couldn't give himself a higher rank. I think commander's <laughs> as high as you get. He's not Grand Marshal or what was it? Marshal or okay. Yeah, Grand Wizard. I think that's the competing organization. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Those well, are the look, white sheets guys. These guys were not afraid to show their faces. Right, right. Exactly. Look, everyone's capable of doing chuva. And you know, there are other stories of not quite the commander, but there's sort of lower lower level neo-Nazis who have, a lot of it was just seeing the love and the joy of Judaism and really come around. Yeah, that will be a very interesting conversation. Stay tuned on that. I'd like to hear what was it that made him turn around, come around besides having to pay a half a million well, dollars. <laughs> well, it actually goes back to what we're talking about, African-American musicians. There was a guy named Daryl Davis who actually played for Chuck Berry and B.B. King. Mm. And one of his things was befriending Klansmen oh, and, yeah. and convincing them to denounce their memberships. And then he also met a British Muslim documentary, a filmmaker named Dia Khan, who profiled him for a documentary called White Right Meeting the Enemy. And it, it was so impactful that they were invited to the Nobel Peace Museum to give a presentation in front of tons and tons and tons of people. And she had asked them a question along the lines of, do you realize that what you are saying diminishes my daughter's humanity? And it apparently shocked his conscience. Really? And wow. Yeah. So it's a really, really neat turnaround story if we are to believe him. And I think I do. You know, I, I, I just... I don't know what kind of words can get through to some people. Like I've been over the last three and a half years, as I've been at this JCRC, AJC, trying to have, forge a relationship with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. And talk who literally about, just planted the Palestinian flag in front of her office. Yeah, you know, I really trying to get through to her, like, let's talk about maybe even things we have in shared society, things that we can value, things that... Palestinians and Israelis and Jews and Arabs and Muslims can work together on. And she's really not responded to that. And I, you know, it just doesn't do the Palestinians any good. It doesn't help anybody. I just, I don't understand. And I, yes, I know she was offended when I said that some people call her the representative from Ramallah. But <laughs> so, but now she has a Palestinian flag in front of her. She doesn't have the flag of Michigan. Maybe she does. I hope she has the Michigan flag in front of her. I, I believe so. I think in the picture I saw it was the U.S. flag, the Michigan flag, and the Palestinian flag. Well, then she's the representative of, of Ramallah and some other things, you know, and also Michigan. So I, it's just very disappointing. But isn't it so interesting that? the Nazi socialist commander, some words could get through to him or something. And I guess I haven't found the words to get through to Representative Tlaib, which is so disappointing because actually she is a really good person. She is a very caring, sensitive person. But on this one issue, and I know she is Palestinian, but, you know, do you want to do good by the Palestinians? Do you want to improve? I don't know. So I certainly have not found the words and maybe maybe one of our listeners uh, will give some suggestions. Frustrating when you really try and don't succeed. Well, then try, try again. You're right. Yeah, Tom Mean, it's in the Ethics of the Fathers, Pirkei Avot, that if someone said all the combinations, I didn't try and I succeeded, don't believe him. I tried and I didn't succeed, don't believe him. But if they say, Yagati Umatsati, I tried and I found then Tommy, then then you believe him. And you know, a lot you're right. Keep on trying. Keep on trying. That's what we do. Because there there's a similar concept in terms of apologies under Halakha, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that that basically, you know, you, you are actually if if you're the one being apologized to, it's actually a sin not to accept a sincere apology. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, there, there, there's idea of also Kofi Nomidat's dome that you can, we don't want people to be selfish and to be, you know, what's mine is mine. What's yours is yours. You can know. Got to be. So we do have to, we on, on the other hand, have to be very open to like, 
this commander that you were you met with. And when people come to us and they really want to change, we have to be very open about that. But unfortunately, a lot of times they don't come to us and I want to change. Maybe if we get this podcast out there, if we bring one former Nazi on our podcast, maybe that'll get the word out that we're not such bad people after all. There we go. There we go. It's, you know, and, and I know, yeah, I know people are intimidated by us, but really, really very open and easy, easygoing folks. <laughs> and can't be forgiven. Please forgive us. I hope these, we try to cut out the most unforgivable parts of these podcasts, but we always ask our kind listeners to forgive the parts that we're not able to make it to the editing floor. Yes, someday there'll be the vault of the R-rated stuff that we had to leave on the cutting room floor, right? It'll, we'll have to wait like the classified documents that everybody keeps hoarding in their house. It'll be 75 years till after both of our deaths when those audio tapes are allowed to be released. Yeah, look, I welcome whoever wants to come into my house to try to go through my files and <laughs> figure things out. What a mess. I don't know. Well, I guess people take boxes out. They say these are mostly my private things and I want to take the box out. A couple of state secrets get mixed up in them. I don't know. I can't blame anybody, really. Yeah, even if I had them in my office, no one would be able to find. They're probably safer here than in any vault in D.C. <laughs> That's true. Or any uh, Corvette. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, we have a very interesting guest today, don't we? I am very excited. It brings back memory. This is this is nostalgia. This is back to Lakeview. Yep. Jeremy Treister, who, like me, was a former president of Anshay Shalom, I think after your time, right? Yes, he was president after. But when I came in, he was, no, he wasn't treasurer, right? Because he was so young. He was like 22 or something. But soon enough, he started moving up in the... Uh, in the, in the hierarchy of Anshi Shalom, of a synagogue. And he became treasurer, I remember. And, uh, you know, if you stick it out in a synagogue, eventually they'll make you president. Yeah, all, all you kids listening, someday you can be president of a shul. <laughs> exactly. All Either... right, let's bring him on. What do you say? Okay, I can't wait. We'll do it. And there he is, Jeremy Treister. I can't believe it. Like, dusted off from 30 years ago when I started at Anshi Shalom. And he still doesn't have one inch of body fat. <laughs> it's incredible. Are you sure you're Jewish? You're tall. You're good looking. You have no body fat. It's so impressive. <laughs> I'm not a rabbi or an attorney. I'm just a business owner. Incredible. I'm so, so honored, I'm so honored to be on this show. Thank oh, you yeah. for joining us. Yeah, this oh, came out of an event you and I attended over the weekend. And we were talking about you're also this incredible Jewish athlete. Did, did Jeremy meet with the the former Nazi also, or just you? No, that was the week before. <laughs> but I look forward to introducing them, because Jeremy does look kind of master race. Uh, yeah, I feel like Jeremy's like in 36 Olympics, and, uh, you know. <laughs> exactly. All right, I could so go let, incognito let's... in all sorts of scenes. Yeah, I could, exactly. I could, I could be hipster, mountain man, rabbi. Depending oh, on the hat. Right, because yeah. people can't see. He's got this beautiful, gorgeous beard going. All right, so let's let's turn it back a little bit. Your day job, you run an IT slash cybersecurity shop, right? Yeah, CMIT Solutions in Chicago. Been doing it for 14 years. Wow, wow. The very fact that he mentioned the name, does that make them a sponsor, Asher? I think sure. so. I think, uh, yeah, that's and they, they get all the benefits that sponsors get. <laughs> Good luck with I, that. Okay. Your sales may actually drop. I hope not. That'd be bad. But Jeremy, for a brief time, you were like building houses or something, renovating houses. Remember, that was like 20 years ago or something like that. No? Yeah, I did one project. Unfortunately, it finished right as the, as the last recession was kind of starting. So it wasn't the best timing, but it was a good learning experience. Yeah, right now, we're but... paying somebody to renovate our kitchen. That's much more fun. I don't want sense. to say that's much more Jewish, but that's, uh, <laughs> but everyone, no, look, it's not, that's a slur. I mean, non-Jew, everyone has other people do their kitchens. So really it's not fair. But ma mainly Jews and ma mainly me. If it's anything involving more than screwing in a light bulb. And sometimes I'll even wait to get five or six things, including screwing in a light bulb to get our fantastic handyman 
to have his help out. But we're not here to talk about me and my handyman. We're here to talk about Jeremy Treister, who's a gold medal winner. No, wow, really? In what I, you know, what I've seen you on Facebook. So, Jeremy, what'd you win a gold in? So I competed in the Maccabi Games this summer, and I did four different cycling events. I brought two different bikes and all sorts of equipment. And I competed on my target event. I trained for, for, you know, six months or so with the coach pretty seriously and won my target event, which was the scratch race. So if you've ever watched the Olympics and you see the races on the velodrome and the bike track, a wood oh. track, the races where there's like, you know, 15, 20, 25 people on the track at a time, that yeah. was the type of race that I did. So and wow. oh my God. Does that make the in... fastest Jew on a bicycle? in the world uh i wouldn't exactly say that because it wasn't like a speed contest there's a lot of tactics involved in this type of racing a lot of tactics and there was this this race was was all people in their 40s and up mm -hmm. and it was jeremy treats is already in his 40s oh my gosh you were yeah, like i just turned that. 52 oh my he's God. the fastest old jew on a bike <laughs> yeah but that's, that's not even that old it's not that old but the, the thing about cycling Mm -hmm. is during my regular racing, which th th there's in Chicago and in Northbrook, there's a bike track where there's regular racing every Thursday night, which is, doesn't compete with Shabbat, every Thursday night from May, from basically Memorial Day until Labor Day. And in the field that I compete in, which is kind of the, the higher level field, there's mm -hmm. people in their late teens through mid 60s. All competing in the same field. And the, some of the most competitive riders are older than I am. So what's the story with that? What Don't muscles become weaker as you get older or? You know. There's a long-term benefit of, of training and, and with experience, you can actually continue to get faster into your fifties. Beyond that, I, I don't know, but uh, I'm in better shape now than I was, you know, 10 years ago. So it's fun. And Jeremy, you're a cancer survivor. I'm happy to, I'm happy to talk about that. Yeah. And I, because I remember I, I was a, you know, I was your rabbi when that happened, yeah. but, but that's incredible that you were able to overcome that. And, you know, what, a, what an inspiring story. Yeah. I survived testicular cancer. It was about, I think, 13 years ago, 12 years ago. And fortunately I caught it early. It's one of these types of cancers that you can detect early just by literally checking your balls. It's very important. Not not for people our age, but for younger people, younger people especially. And I I was literally in a bike race, and something did not feel right in, in my saddle. Wow! So I went I went to a urologist like literally the next day. This does not feel right, and I was having a surgery two weeks later. Oh my gosh! Wow! But thank God, you know it's yeah. you know, it's the, what you can come and then. You could even overcome like being saddled down, talking of saddle, being saddled down by synagogue politics. So that's really impressive that <laughs> being president of the synagogue has not slow. Maybe it did slow you down a little bit. Yeah. Well, weren't uh, you like Roosevelt? Did you have like three terms? <laughs> I had two terms. So I, I'm a past synagogue president at Anshu Sholem. And but then, you know, then you're past president after that. And then you're really burned out, as tends to happen, I think. So I'm still very in, interested in what's going on in synagogue politics, but I have, I'm a secret, secret advisor on the side, which is oh, much better. Yeah. Only our listeners know that. So that's really amazing. Yeah. And, and, but it certainly didn't <laughs> that is, that is truly classified information. Now, now, you could also say that being involved in the synagogue is what made you a gold medal winner, because oh, as part oh. of your cycling training, you checked our A-roof, right? Officially, I'm still the president in the Lakefront Air Roof. Wow. So I still sign the annual report for that. And once in a while, we get an errant, strange question about some official thing, and I have to answer that question. So, yeah. I do want to thank Jeff Aronson, mm -hmm. who's really the pushing for the A Roof. Even before 95, I started on Shalom in 95, but he was pushing for it even before that. And then David Ash, who really made it happen, really worked very hard on it. But then, and John, have we talked about the A-Roof? No, the I was just going to say, why don't you give everybody a quick recap? Well, so the Torah, the Bible talks about not leaving your place on Shabbat. And uh, our rabbis understand that from the Torah, from the Bible, you're not supposed to carry the public domain. 
But then the rabbis say, but it's a public domain sort of a very limited kind of place. It's like a maybe a super highway or, or the only highway, a thoroughfare. Uh, but in general, the rabbis say that the carrying outside on regular streets or sidewalks is only rabbinically prohibited, not from the Torah, but it's still rabbinically prohibited, which is serious, it's prohibited. But then the rabbis say, we will, if you can turn your area really into something like a home, the whole neighborhood, like a one home, then you can carry, just like you can carry in your home. And how do you do that? Actually, eruv means mixing. So you actually have to have some kind of food. And there was a, used to be a box of matzah in the rabbi's office that Mm -hmm. theoretically anyone within the eruv, within an area, could eat from that. And so you're really making, turning into a, a, something that's sort of public space into much more really like a home. But- And, and do- wait, so the the reason for matzah has nothing to do with Passover. It's just had to do, you didn't want something spoiling in your office. Exactly right. Matzah lasts for a long time. Uh, yes, hopefully. And then, but you have to demarcate this area and you do it, but it has to look like a home. How do you do it like, like a home? How do you make it? So you need to put a whole wall, build a wall or doorways. If you have a- and what is a doorway? A doorway is sort of two pillars and a wire and a lintel, something like that. So basically, if it's telephone pull electrical wires, then with a wire going over it counts as a doorway. So basically, with a little bit of help, because it doesn't always work perfectly, you have to make sure that the, all the wires are up and connecting and demarcates that whole area. And if one of the wires is down, that means like one of the doorways is broken and the A-Roo doesn't work. And so, Jeremy, what did, so what did you do for checking it? So long ago, when I used to be involved in checking the A-Roo, I would ride my bike around the entire perimeter of the A-Roo to check it. And, and actually, several years ago, I think it was before I was synagogue president, I, I led a, a, a bike tour of the Eruv, wow. and we had a nice group. Rabbi, Rabbi Wolkenveld was there. We had a group of, of probably 10, 10, 12 people. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun event. We're and and it's, it's gorgeous, right? Because you can also use Lake Michigan as part of it, right? Yeah, there's seawalls involved, and there's walls going around the, uh, the Marovitz golf course. Yeah, exactly. Major and, donor uh, Tan Shalom, Judge Marvin. Yes. And, <laughs> and the, the, fam- the famous Graceland Cemetery, which is a major tourist attraction in Chicago, is, is that, that the wall of that is part of the boundary as well. So the metro tracks, the commuter, tra- commuter rail tracks are part of it. So it's pretty I interesting. Remember- one time we were supposed to, there's a usually a rabbi that oversees, like an expert rabbi, and not just a dual mm-hmm. rabbi, but an expert rabbi in Aruvs that oversees it. And that rabbi would say, you have to check the, the, the train tracks once a year. So I think we walked it once and uh, we didn't meet up with any trains, but they're, they're like, and, so, rich- and so what was the circumference on that? I think it's probably 10, 10 12 miles around. Okay. Because you have to drive around certain areas and things like that. Right, right. Yeah, I do think it's not just a like a phony kind of law. It really, it does feel like a neighborhood like, you know, you're in, you're looking at, you know, talked about it before, like looking out for each other, like hopefully it creates a sense of community. And I would say if you're in an A-Roof area, you have to should act like you're in a home. Like you say hello to people and you greet people and you see them in the street and uh, hopefully it creates a certain atmosphere. And then the rabbis are not so upset, are fine with you carrying a bottle of wine or pushing baby carriages or or something like that. Right. And hopefully you're not one of those neighborhoods where they don't want the A-Roof and they protest, especially if they're Jews sometimes will actually do the protesting. Yeah, that was uh, in the Hamptons. They're worried about it. Once there's an A-Roof, and this definitely happened in Lakeview, it becomes a more desirable place for Shabbat, Sabbath observant Jews to live. It's very hard to live in a community where there's no A-Roof because you just it's hard. It's restrictive, especially if you have young kids and, and can't push baby carriages. So yes, yeah, some neighborhoods 
didn't want people like that. So <laughs> like um, you. Yeah. <laughs> so so getting a back. Okay. So how do you go from checking an A roof to being a gold medalist? I've always been into endurance sports, but I but I became a competitive cyclist not really until my mid mid to late 30s, somehow. Mm -hmm. I moved up the ranks like every sport you can imagine has a federation so there's usa cycling and and you get upgrade points move up the ranks and all of a sudden you can race with you know the fast people and everything like that i've gone to the national championships on the track for masters so i'm racing against people in in my age group since i was 40 or 45 something like that and i've done okay i i competed this year in the same race that I won in the Maccabia, I got ninth. So the, the field in the US, it's really the strongest athletes in that age group are all going to compete. So yeah, that's, nice, it, that, that's different. With the Maccabi games, it's, it's a different selection process. E each country has a different selection process, but like in the US, they, for cycling, they wanted to see that I actually race in an elite level in the discipline I wanted to compete in and that I was Jewish. And are you willing to raise the money for it? You know, so not only did I have to, not only did I have to pay my way for it, I also raised money for the juniors. So the wow. masters athletes, no matter what sport you're doing, are raising money for the younger athletes. That's beautiful. That's, that's yeah. uh, you know, I yeah. think social responsibility. Yeah. So I donated and I also reached out to friends and family. And uh, Jeremy, and, did you uh, reach out to us? I don't know if we gave. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember giving you a dime. Sorry. <laughs> it's a to rates, I'm sure. We if did. you would have, you would have gotten the cool newsletter that just arrived last mm -hmm. week that had well, a picture of me in it. Can we do <laughs> it in retrospect? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, it's an ongoing program. Anyway, so like the opening ceremonies, like in the real Olympics? So actually, the Maccabi Games is after the World Cup and the Olympics is the third largest sporting event in the world. That's yeah, how big it is. You, no. Really? Yeah, you can look it up. It's true. And Jews, you are... really do control the world. Like I, I <laughs> give up. I give up. Well, we got the banking. We have Hollywood, and now I guess we have sports. I mean, I knew we owned teams, you know, Bob Kraft and stuff like that, but I didn't realize yep. we. The third yeah. in the world. The, so the opening ceremonies were at Teddy Kollek Stadium in Jerusalem. Uh, Teddy Kollek was the great mayor of Jerusalem for decades. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and the athletes were all staged at in a, a nearby arena. There's a big athletic complex there and a nearby arena for hours. There was like dance performances. There was a, there was a hockey, there was a hockey game we got to watch between, I think, U.S. and Canada. One of the younger age group kids were playing we're playing so you know it's it's not like the summer olympics it's, it's actually like a lot of different sports but there are certain sports that that masters compete in and and one of them is, is cycling and and there's some running sports and triathlon and i found out about the maccabi games originally because somebody who's stuck with playing soccer into their <laughs> 40s and such is went went to do it so so israel has a velodrome israel actually has a so that's what's amazing. So there is a very successful family. Sylvan Adams is is the, he's a cyclist. He's also a very successful business person and a major philanthropist. Sylvan Adams is originally from Montreal. He brought the, I don't know if you remember this, but in 2018, the Giro d'Italia, one of the major bike tours, yeah. actually had a couple of stages that started in Israel, including I Jerusalem. I remember. And it was a big deal. He brought the Giro d'Italia to Israel. He also was responsible for, for the, the funding and the building of the velodrome that's in Tel Aviv. And th this velodrome, when I saw it being built, it was immediately on my bucket list. I was like, oh, wow. When this thing is built, I cannot wait. Someday I'm going to go there and race there. So that's, that was kind of the first thing that was like 2018. I heard about this. Like I got to like, someday I got to race there. It's, it's a very new track. It's probably the nicest I've raced in velodromes all over the place. This is the nicest one I've ever been to. And it, it, they actually hosted the world championships for juniors recently this year. So after the Maccabi games, a couple months later, they hosted the world championships for junior athletes. So all over the world. You know, not, not Jews, but literally all over the world wow. and really world-class. So another thing I, one of my other goals about going to the games was it would be so cool to actually meet Sylvan Adams. Cause I know he's a cyclist. I wonder if he'll be competing. Well, track cycling is like, like one thing, not that many adults ride bikes in general, but then you have people who race competitively. It's even like a smaller subset. And then you have the people that race on the track 
it's even the most niche of niche. Well, I want to ask tra- you that, Jeremy, and don't forget yeah. this. But I want to ask you, like, I know how to ride a bike. Yeah. You think I could ride on a velodrome? Yeah. It's a well. There's a velodrome in in in, in Detroit, the Lexus Velodrome. I'm gonna I'm gonna look into that. Okay, continue your story because you gave me all confidence. Yes. Yeah. Well, Did you I, meet Sylvan Adams. Yes, we we got we trained together. We hung out together for hours and talked, and it was such a cool thing to get to talk to him. And you know, he's he's pretty famous in the cycling world. He's a well-known business person as well, and everything else. But it was so cool because just we raced together. He was in my race, the race that race that I won. Incredible! Wow. Wait, yeah. so you beat you beat Sylvan Adams? I I did. Wow. I'm gonna. I have friends from Montreal. I'm gonna tell them that uh, you know, that's amazing. Yeah. For the record, I took up cycling during <laughs> COVID. In fact, I it was a bike that I bought while we were at Anshay Shalom. So if you remember when President Bush gave us an $800 check to boost the economy, I actually used it to buy a bike in 2002, I think it was. Hadn't touched it until 2020, till COVID. And with all due respect, Asher, since there was no shul during COVID, I rode my bike. And it was fantastic. And there's actually one place around here on Sheridan Road near Lake Michigan, where it actually is curvy and windy. And I didn't realize that I wasn't supposed to be biking there. And I passed by a couple Mm. who yell at me saying, you're not supposed to be here. And they passed me. I looked at them and said, yeah, right. Two seconds later, I totally wiped out on wet leaves, landed on my hip and learned my lesson. Wow, there did you hit? Did you? I, I know that stretch because I saw a really bad accident there when it was open to cyclists oh. back in 87, 88. I was riding, and there's a U guard right at the bottom of one of those curves, and there was someone who had completely tacoed his bike, like, you oh know, wow. right into one of those U guards at the bottom. Yeah, that, that was almost me. It's like a personal injuries dream location right there. John, you were wearing a helmet. I was, although funny story from at, at Anshay Shalom when I first got the bike. Right, there's Jen, always an Anshay Shalom store for everything, yes. Jen, Jen told me, you know, this was in 2002 when no one was wearing helmets, but Jen forced me to buy a helmet. So I, I buy a helmet and then I'm going on, on the lake and I hate to say this, but all these, you know, like pretty girls were passing me. None of them had helmets. And I was like the dorky dude wearing the helmet and I, I yelled at Jen because of it, but I guess it probably saved my noggin. Well, and that was also, that was smart of Jen even then. So the, you look <laughs> to like- To make me even nerdier than I am, to make me completely unappealing <laughs> to the opposite sex. Jeremy, are your kids athletes also? I know your kids are something like athletes. What are, yeah? Yeah, our kids all ran cross country. And, and, and B, one of our daughters who's 23, did a bunch of bike races with me this fall. And when I was doing a lot of serious training, like even early on when our kids were younger, uh, Saul, his twin, who's also 23, was training with me and racing with me since he was about 12 year, 10, 12 years old and really stuck with it all through when he was in Chicago, through high school and everything at. And at one point, like when he was 15, he started beating me in certain disciplines and then around... 17 he started being able to beat me on, on the velodrome wow okay. which is such a it's a cool thing because i i had this thing with my father where my goal and it, it's still true today is he can always beat me at golf mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he always beat you at golf and now <laughs> yeah. your kids surpass you and that's a it's okay it is a beautiful there's a jewish concept that you're like talmud says that you're not you're never jealous of your kids i can't speak for your dad who, who i love but no, I think it's good. There are different models of, you know, father, son, parent, child relationship. And my son, Gideon, I, my youngest, is an amazing basketball player. He's on the varsity of the Farber Fire, and they have a trans- yeah. tournament this weekend. But I am like, I'm in the stands. It's not like we play basketball together. So yeah. it's neat, you know, different strokes for different folks, you know? Yeah, in this in this sport, we could actually be racing shoulder to shoulder and bumping into each other on the track going, you know, going 35, 40 miles an hour. So that's, that's, that's what's different about cycling is we could actually be in the same race together. It's a good way to clear up a lot of daddy issues. (laughs) Well, you know, all right. So I want to hear you, you win it. You you go up there and they play the star spangled banner. They, they didn't play the national Mm -hmm. anthem. 
but there was a podium. There was a pretty full stadium. So we got to, you know, you know, the podium, they hand you the medals. The, there were a lot of race officials, commissaires for the race and a lot of Israeli fans. And Wait, they call them commissars? I think that's the word for it. <laughs> okay. Is that, yeah. Like race officials. Yeah. Commissar. It's not commissar. a commander. It's not a commander. It's a commissar. It's a right. Yeah. It's a related work. The race that I won was the first day of any bike racing during the Maccabi. It was early in the, in the, oh, wow. so there were two other days of racing plus two other days of official training events. So there are other times when I was around a lot of other athletes and Israelis and the officials. And like, I got, I was like, it was kind of cool. Like everyone knew who I was. Like people yeah. I didn't meet knew who I was. Like, oh, was Jeremy, it, was it wow, like that so end cool. scene in Star Wars where they they walk down and everybody's saluting them and Chewbacca gives them the medals and all that? I was in the I was in the parking lot by there's a there's a national park near near Beit Shemesh where the road race was. Everyone was loading, unloading their car. There's a guy next to me who was praying. He had a tefillin and, and talit on, and he said, "Oh, hi, Jeremy." And I said, "Oh, I didn't think we met." And he introduced himself. He, he said, "Oh, yeah, I know who you are, though." You know, we only have big celebrities on as guests on this podcast, so I'm not surprised. And I, I would think that's interesting is while I don't play basketball with Gideon and I can't, you know, but you mentioned davening. So I feel when I'm davening next to my kids, it's like a beautiful idea of passing it on from one generation. So there is just that amazing mm-hmm. thing to find something that you can do together, whether it's sports, whether it's learning whether it's dominant <laughs> whatever it yeah. is there were a lot of cool aspects of being in the games that were just like you're there representing the united states but you're also an athlete and you're also part of this jewish community that's not mm-hmm. associated with like the neighborhood you're in or yeah. synagogue or school or any ideology but everyone's there so you're like everyone you're just kind of like it's like you're rooting for the jews it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter I'm con- I have friends now from, from Germany, the Netherlands, the UK, Australia, What were South some Africa. of the more unique countries you met people from that you didn't expect? I don't know if I was particularly su- surprised by any of them. There, there was just li- like, what was interesting though, is there were large delegations from the UK and the Netherlands. And actually, there's actually an athlete's village, like there's for the Olympics, right? So the mm-hmm. Kafar Maccabee is in Ramat Gan. It's the headquarters of the World Maccabee Union. Wow. And- I couldn't stay there because I was there with family. But if I was an athlete without family, I could have stayed there. Almost all the masters athletes in certain sports, like cycling and a couple others, and tennis, I think, were staying there. And th- th- some group invited me to, to eat with them one time because I had beat one of their mates during a training session on the track. And they couldn't believe it because this guy was a real hothead. Mm. So we were going head to head. And this guy's like in his 20s. And like I kept on like, yeah. Wow. As you can imagine, cyclists can be a little intense and weird, you might imagine. So there were some intense you know, personalities here and there. What was interesting is I was at this Kafarma, I could be at the hotel and I was like hanging out in the lobby, talking to some people. And all of a sudden, like this group shows up and the whole team Netherlands shows up, the cyclists, they all have matching uniforms on, wow. matching everything. They even had like matching tags on their backs and it was all orange, you know, the, the, the Dutch colors. It looks wow. so cool. So Did there were things like that that really blew me away. And then also like the, the UK team, those guys are all from Manchester. So oh, they wow. got to train together and everything, uh, train all the time. They had all these cool things on Instagram about how they were doing all this cool training. So that was like very intimidating. And then, then I got to actually meet them in person. You know, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Because, you know, the US is very spread out as far as where the Jewish communities are. Whereas like in the UK or another, Netherlands or these other countries, uh, people from Sydney, there's like more tighter focused area so they could train together and develop some cohesiveness manchester england has a big haredi community ultra orthodox Mm -hmm. and it sort of should have a declining jewish community but it's actually Mm -hmm. become a very trendy place manchester a lot of young folks Mm -hmm. maybe if there was a it's it's a growing community there it's really Mm -hmm. wow from manchester you know the manchester baiting the religious authority manchester was always much stricter than the mm-hmm. London Bethden. So like the London Bethden says, any kind of scotch is kosher. Manchester, Bethden, they're much stricter. So uh-huh. uh, 
Fantastic. It's probably because they don't drink as much scotch. Hey, <laughs> hey, so Jeremy, I've got a question. If I were yeah. you, I would be wearing that gold medal like everywhere I went. Like forget even just at the Maccabee games, coming home, like walking around downtown, going to clients. I would be constantly wearing that to see if I could get free drinks. Do you do that? There was one time that I wore it. And the only time was actually when I left to fly home, I was like, where am I going to put this thing? I'm like worried about losing it. So I, I had, not only was I wearing it, but I, I had my whole Adidas track suits, say Maccabi USA on them. And my wife, Rachel was like mortified that I would ever wear the thing, but I wore it on the way to Israel. And I ran into somebody at O'Hare airport who was like, oh my gosh, what do you, what are you competing in? And she was like a former Olympian. We ended up hanging out oh, talking for a while, like a real Olympian. Like, and, and then on the way home, leaving Ben Gurion airport, I, I had it underneath my clothes and it set off the alarm. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot I have this. And, the, <laughs> and, and all the security people were like, oh, that's so cool. Let me see it. Sorry. So it was almost like in Spinal Tap, going through the, yeah. the you know what I'm talking going through I know the, exactly uh, what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I was reading that over 100 U.S. Olympians have competed in the games. Yeah. In the yes, a lot of a lot of famous athletes have competed in the Maccabi Games. So it's not just like some Masters guy who like me who goes, but like people in their prime do it too. Well, and it, the other thing about the Maccabi Games is it, it's it's historically been a pathway to to making Aliyah. It, it, it's a way a lot of Jews have ended up moving to Israel. So you Jeremy, think about these. Do you have an announcement to make, Jeremy, on our podcast? No, <laughs> no, not right okay. now. No. <laughs> but 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 we are we all got a lot of push for that like there's a lot of like Dang. i'm gonna say propaganda we got a lot of messaging about about that and and that's historically what it's been there's been like you know these different these different zionist movements in in europe yeah. but but one of the other ways was like through sport interesting very interesting wow. yeah and this is my ignorance is there a difference between maccabee and maccabia and maccabia that's a question for the rabbi. It's like the World no. Maccabi Union is how you say yeah. it in English. That's the overriding organization. And then there's the Maccabi Games, which you say in English, and the Maccabiah is what Israelis call it. Right. Like I think a Maccabi is like an Olympiada, kind of like the Olympiada. Like, like, in, like in Israel, it was all over the country. It was mostly focused in Netanya, Tel Aviv, and Jerusalem. Most of the events were in one of those three. And my events were either in Tel Aviv or Netanya, but I also had a road race that was in Beit Shemesh. Were there a lot of Israelis? I mean, because everyone in Israel qualifies, right? Or at least the 80% no, well, who are Jews. No, they don't. You don't. Well, so it's different. So uh, like, I, like you understand my qualifications to go, but for the Israelis who competed, each sport had its own qualification rules, just yeah. like in the Olympics. Wow. Wow. So for, for, in cycling, the Israelis that I was competing against were all the national champions in their age group. For an Israeli to compete, you couldn't just compete. You, you, had, to, you had to be someone who had actually been ranked in the country for, for whatever sport it was. Got it. So wow. it was a competitive field. It, it, wasn't like, it wasn't like easy racing. It was, a, it was a competitive field. Well, if you beat Sylvan Adams, that's all I need to know. And you beat that Dutch guy, that Netherlands, stuck up Netherlands guy. <laughs> no, 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 he, no, no. That was a different country. Oh, a different country. <laughs> okay. Different country. But no, different. That was a guy from a different country. He was not in my actual race. He was a younger ah. guy. So he was racing against the athletes in their 20s and 30s. Ah, okay. Okay. This is amazing. You know, we're so proud yeah. of you. And were your, was your family proud of you? Was your Rachel and the, the kids and everyone proud? Yeah, it was exciting. R Rachel and B were both there. Wow. It, so I had some fans in the stands, plus, so, plus some of my other cycling friends. Who I, who I now had from the U.S. who were only competing in the road events oh, wow. also came to watch. So they were, they were intimidated by the track. They, they were there for the road race. So they wanted to see it too. So they, they were there. So I, I, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I think, you know, what you said, it's so beautiful about fam, like the Jewish people that Maccabiah really gives you that sense of that the Jewish people are one. It's a, it's a family. And that goes back to the A-Roof. It goes back to the mm -hmm. idea that you know, you really, uh, sometimes we feel like we're individuals and we're separate and we're so different, but, you know, it, there's that beautiful idea of coming together. And, you know, I'm a universalist also. I think that humanity is also in certain ways a family. It's harder to get us to think that way, but 
It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Maccabia really, really did that. So we're we're very proud of you. And I hope I'll my last question will be: I hope the synagogue celebrated you or has celebrated you yet. Mm. Well, mm. I will talk to my contacts and John. <laughs> As a former president of Anshu Shalom, you should talk to your contacts there. Yeah, I think we're going to have to name a wing after him and <laughs> put Memorial. that gold medal up there. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, Jeremy, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining us. Fascinating stuff. And we're so proud of you. It's nice to know that we actually know a famous Jewish sports hero. Fantastic. I- I'm glad to know a couple of famous people. Oh, boy. Well, yeah. as this podcast with this interview, we're going to be even more famous. So, uh, Well, thanks so much, Jeremy, and we'll thank talk you. soon. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Wow, he is so impressive. John, this is, a, well, look, this is the product of a great synagogue. That's all I'll say. You know, it's, you know, we can all be proud. We have a healthy diaspora, that's for sure. Yeah, and amazing that this is the third biggest international sports event in the world. Wow, I that you know, I I did not know that. Well, there's hope for us yet. Let's get on the treadmill. I'm going to get on the bike. I'm going to steal Gideon's bike and uh, drive on over to the Detroit Velodrome. I, I know you and I aren't going to make it in basketball. No, no, that was the worst. But I'm going to watch tomorrow night. Farber Fire is playing against, I think it's Columbus or something like that. So can't wait. Well, you always wonder when you see teams playing and, you know, both sides are asking Jesus or whichever God they believe in to win. Like, how, how do the deities pick between sports teams? Right. No, I don't. I think Hashem, God says, look, I have. Bigger fish to fry, bigger things to worry about than than this. It, it's a but it's an interesting question because people do pray in a beautiful way, and that must be really tough for Hashem. I don't know. I don't envy Hashem in those cases. I mean, I felt bad because when I played baseball, I always used to remember putting in a a secret good word, and they had a hat on, so I figured that was close enough to a keeper. You know, please, God, don't let me drop the ball and make an ass out of myself. <laughs> you were good. You, we had an Anshi Shalom softball team. You were very good. Well, we did. We had a uh, George Freeman played when he was 99. We had him hit one ball and <laughs> got him to first base. And boy, that was inspirational. Talk that about was... the talk about the Masters League, right? Exactly. Oh, wow. Blessed memory. That was Asher Smashers. That's right. That's right. And and I literally did smash my pinky finger because we were playing, you know, what we play here in Chicago without mitts. Right. And 16-inch softball, when you're in the outfield, boy, and you take it on the wrong finger, it, it hurts to this day when the weather gets cold. <laughs> but look, John, stay safe. Take your bike only on the legal bike paths. Thank you. I learned my lesson. <laughs> okay. Always a pleasure, and we'll see you soon. Excellent. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to get our next episode delivered right to you. If you really like us, please consider leaving a review and sharing this with a friend. That would really help our efforts. And finally, to contact us and for more show-related information, please visit our website, rabbilawyerbar.com. Special thanks to our production team, David Stone for the introduction music, Andrew Bauman for the artwork, and I'm Nicholas Tantillo. This podcast is co-produced with Front and Social Studios in Chicago. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. Copyrighted material, all rights reserved.